How's everybody doing today? Good, good, good. Well, my name is Sean White. If you don't know me, uh, if you're visiting today, uh, I'm one of our youth ministers here. Uh, get a chance to preach this morning as Chris is out of town. Uh, we have been in this series called Because of Grace. Uh, we've been talking a lot about what does it look like uh, to live as Jesus people because of grace and the hope that we have in Jesus. And so I get to wrap up this, this series this morning uh, with you guys, and I'm excited to do that. Uh, the first thing we're going to do is we're going to play a little screen game, all right? So this is participatory, um, so I will show some images on the screen, and then you will um, shout them out the answers. Uh, we're calling this game Name Their Enemy. So what I will show you is some heroes, and all you have to do is say who their enemy is, okay? Fair enough? Easy? All right, here we go. First one. Um, Oh, hey, I'm going to control my own slides, so don't jump ahead of me. Um, don't, don't, don't jump ahead of me. Uh, so Superman. Lex Luthor. Okay, so Lex Luthor. Um, some of you may know this Lex Luthor, uh, Gene Hackman, uh, right? Uh, all the kids are like, I don't know who that is. All right, this one. Uh, Bowser. Bowser, very good. Whoever give two points. Uh, Bowser, very good. Uh, so Bowser, um, here we go. Cobra, or, or, you know, Cobra Commander more specifically, that's fine, uh, that works too. Um, here we go. Scar. Scar, very good, Scar, um, very good. So Simba's uh, is Scar. Um, what about this one? Wicked Witch of the West. A lot more older people said this one. I got, yeah, okay. Uh, the Wicked Witch of the West, very good. Uh, now this one, uh, let's see. The devil, very good. This is Johnny, and he's from Georgia, and so it's the, the devil, right? Um, I, I wanted to share this. We've recently introduced this song to Colin, um, and so we've been playing it a lot lately, and I know I shouldn't say this in church. I'm not, I'm not, I shouldn't say this, but I'm going to say it anyway. If I was the judge, I like the devil song a little bit better. I'm just going to say it. Now... I don't want Johnny to lose his soul, so I'm going to vote for him. But the devil song is just a little bit better, I think. Um, but anyway, so good job. Give yourself a pat on the back, a round of applause. Good job. You did it. Uh, you did great. Here you go. Pat yourself on the back. But heroes and villains, heroes and enemies, right? We all know it. We all figure it out pretty quickly as little kids. We play superheroes and villains, uh, cops and robbers, uh, superheroes and bad guys, all that stuff when we're little kids. We get it figured out. Uh, we know who the good guys are. We know who the bad guys are at a pretty young age. And what does a hero do to their enemy? They punch them, they kick them, they defeat them, they win the victory, the battles, they, they fight them, and they, um, they, they, they get into these big skirmishes, and they beat their enemy. And that's what we do growing up. We play these games outside with our friends, and if you're the hero, you, uh, you win, you're supposed to win. If you're the bad guy, if you're the enemy, you're supposed to lose. Uh, but eventually, you know, the capes get folded, the toy guns break and get put away, and we grow up, Right? And so do our enemies. Our enemies grow up. And no longer is it our buddy who has to take his turn being the bad guy. Um, as our enemies, it's real life, real people. Right? Um, and sometimes that manifests itself in uh, violent groups of people um, that want harm physically through violence for other people. Um, but I would say for most of us, our enemies become the people that we interact with on a daily basis who think, look, 
and act differently than most of us do. Our enemies have become those with different ideologies and beliefs than us. And truth be told, many of us would like to do what a superhero does to their enemy and just punch them through the wall so they'd see our point of view and way of thinking. So what are we supposed to do? What are the people of God supposed to do about their enemies? Well, I'm glad you asked that question because that's a question that the people of God have been asking since, well, since they've become the people of God. They've been asking this question, what do we do with our enemies? What are we supposed to do about them? And luckily and thankfully, God has come down into our midst, into our mess, through a man named Jesus, and he's answered that very question for us. So that's where we're going to be this morning. We're going to spend some time in Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 through 48. Um, and if you have your Bibles, um, go ahead and put your little ribbon in there, put your little bookmark. Uh, we're going to be jumping around to some other verses as well, but always coming back to this verse. Uh, so Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 through 48. Uh, but before we jump in, I want to set up a few things about this passage and about this section that we call the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, many of you in your Bible probably maybe have it headed Sermon on the Mount. That's kind of the title we give to Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, Sermon on the Mount. Um, my Bible just kind of has it broken down into sections and ideas that Jesus shares with us. Um, but I believe before we understand what Jesus is saying in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, we have to understand what he's doing in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. Um, flip back with me just one page maybe. Maybe it's on the same page. I don't know. But just one chapter to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. Here we see Jesus. He's been led into the wilderness to be tempted by the accuser, by the devil, by the, the Satan. Um, he's been tempted. He's come out of that. Um, he's began to, uh, as verse 17 says, uh, preach uh, repent, the kingdom of heaven is near. We see him call his first disciples. He calls Simon Peter, um, his brother Andrew, um, and then he calls uh, James and John, which in Mark, Jesus gives these brothers an awesome nickname. He calls them the sons of thunder. That's pretty cool. If I, Jesus was going to give me a nickname, that'd be a cool nickname to have, sons of thunder. Um, but then Jesus in verse uh, 23, um, it, it says this, it says, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, healing every disease, sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, demon-possessed, those having seizures and paralyzed. He went and healed them, large crowds from Galilee and the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. And what I want to point out here is Jesus is doing what Jewish rabbis of Jesus' day does. Going from town to town to synagogue to synagogue and teaching and preaching. Um, kind of like if you remember tent revivals, gospel meetings, you have a prominent preacher come into town and he goes from town to town, gospel meeting to gospel meeting, uh, preaching and teaching, and he brings his best sermon, his best message with him each and every town he goes to. And that's what Jesus is doing here. Jesus is going from town to town and he's bringing his message. And what is that message? The kingdom of heaven is here. The kingdom of, of heaven is now. That's the message that Jesus is going around the area teaching and preaching. And he's sharing this good news and he's teaching it. And what does this good news look like? What does the kingdom of heaven look like? Well, it looks like Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. 
And Jesus goes from town to town preaching and teaching this message. And on this particular day, Matthew um, knows about this message. And maybe Jesus hit it out of the... This is like, you know, hit a, hit a home run, you know. Uh, preachers kind of want... Some days preachers feel it, you know. They may preach the same message numerous times, but that one time it's just, you know, they hit a home run. And maybe this is what Jesus is doing. And Matthew records it for us. Jesus comes sharing a message to who? To fishermen, to farmers, to the least of these, to, to, to the lowest of the low in society. And he's telling them the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God has arrived. And it looks like what I'm about to tell you in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. And I think for us, these are some hard words. Because... Um, Matthew chapter 5 really cuts at the heart of our brokenness. It calls us out. It challenges us more than verses like John 3.16. You know, for God so loved the world. That's, that's awesome and an amazing verse, but that's not a huge challenge to us because God does all the work there. So we put that on t-shirts and we put that in lovely calligraphy in our house somewhere in a frame. But we don't put... Verses like, if anyone who says you fool will be, in the will be in danger of the fire of hell. We don't put that on a t-shirt, right? We don't. Because that's hard. And that cuts to the core of who we are. So I think we do one of two things with Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. Some of us ignore these verses and we go about our day. We just ignore them. We're like, okay, Jesus said it. Good deal. I like Jesus who died on the cross. So I'm just going to kind of ignore this. Or at worst, and maybe, uh, maybe worse, I think we water these verses down to simply be some sort of moral teaching about being nice and being a good person. And we go about our day never being any different. And don't get me wrong, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, it is full of morality and it is full of behavior modification, if you will. But Jesus isn't teaching us just about morals like he's writing a Disney movie, okay? What Jesus is doing and what Jesus is calling us to is heart change, to create life change, to create transformation within the people of God. So we get to Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 in the kingdom of heaven and what it looks like on earth and it cuts the deepest because Jesus gets at the very things that we do to ourselves and that we do to others. To the very things that keep us from living out the kingdom life, Jesus came for us. So Matthew chapter 5, 43 through 48. You've heard it said, love your neighbors and hate your enemies. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes His Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends His reign on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore as your heavenly Father is perfect. So much goodness right here that we're going to unpack this morning. Um, first, Jesus says, for the sixth time, He says, you've heard it said, in the last five to ten minutes of His message, I don't know how fast Jesus talks, 
um, and what his cadence is. He may be a slow talker. He may be a fast talker. I don't know. But in the last five to ten minutes or so of his message that he's giving on the side of this mountain, he says, you've heard it said six different times. And Jesus is reminding his Jewish audience about the Torah, the law. Their first five books of their scripture. For the Jewish person, the law is how they live their life and how they knew whether they were right or wrong with God. And so Jesus is reminding them and calling them to that. I'm going to sit down. Jesus is reminding them to that law. And he says, you've heard it said. But I tell you, and he gives them a new way to live. And this is typical of a Jewish rabbi of the day. They would go around and they would interpret the law. They would explain the law. They would teach on the law. They would say, here is what the law says and here is what this means for you as a person. But Jesus is doing something different here. Jesus isn't just restating the law in a new way. But Jesus is showing people what the law meant within the kingdom of heaven. Remember that that's Jesus' message, right? That the kingdom of heaven is here. The kingdom of heaven is now. That is Jesus' message. So what does that look like to live in the kingdom? So Jesus says here, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Well, where does Jesus get this from? Where does Jesus get this teaching? Um, do you have a footnote in your Bible? Anybody? You got a footnote right there? Um, I have a footnote. It tells me that Jesus is talking about Leviticus 19.18. So flip with me all the way back to Leviticus 19.18. Uh, that's in your Old Testament. Um, if you have to use your table of contents, that's okay. No judgment here, right? So flip back with me to Leviticus in the Old Testament. And Jesus, and I'm going to have it up here on the screen, Jesus says, uh, quotes from this law. He says, do not seek, God says this to his people, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Done. There it is. Case closed, right? Close the book. We're done. Everything is explained. Oh. But wait, 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 just a second. What about that hate your enemy part? Where does that come from? There's no footnote for that. Where does that come from? You see, the question of the day and the question for thousands of years for the Jewish people and maybe the question still for us today is, okay, we get it. Love those who are my neighbor, but who exactly is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? So Jesus would say this verse and people would be reminded of this, but the question would come up again that has been the question for Jews and God's people for centuries, who is my neighbor? So let's look at Leviticus 19 in just a little bit greater context. A couple verses prior to this, it says this, do not pervert justice, do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great, but judge your neighbor fairly. Okay, so whether you're of rich status, poor status, uh, noble status, low status, we want everybody to be uh, shown, uh, you know, treated fairly, okay? Do not go about spreading slander among your people. Do not do anything that endangers your neighbor's life. I am the Lord. Verse 17, do not hate a fellow Israelite in your heart, but rebuke your neighbor fairly or frankly, so you will not share in their guilt. Okay, okay. So, we love all the people that are like us. Got it. 
The rest of the Jewish people, we love all the people that are Jewish. For us, we love all the people that are like us, that are, um, that are our people. Fair enough. But what about the people that are not like us? Says the Jewish person. Those who are not God's chosen people. Well, flip down just a little bit farther with me, uh, starting in verse 33. It says this. It says, When a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native-born. Love them as yourself. For you are foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Whew. So, okay, God, so what you're saying is maybe we don't build a wall to keep the immigrants out. Right? But rather we treat them and welcome them as native-born people. And we love them. Why? Why do we do this? Well, because when you were in Egypt, when you were in a land that was not your home, I loved you and I treated you with fairness and kindness and love and compassion. Okay, okay. But what about the bad people? What do we do about the evil people? What about our enemies? Uh, for the first century Jew, the enemy was Rome. It was the foreign invaders into the land of God, the people that were not supposed to be there but were there and were in control. That was the enemy. Well, Jesus would go on to expand this idea because right now the idea is, okay, we get it. God, God's people to God's people relationship, we get it. We treat each other fairly and with as neighbors. Okay, okay. Um, God's people to outsiders relationships, we treat each other like, you know, like they're our neighbors. Okay, okay. But Jesus is going to expand that idea to include God's people to their enemies' relationship. And so in verse Matthew chapter 5, flip back here to Matthew chapter 5, he would say in verse 44, he says, But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Whew. Wow. Where does Jesus get that idea? Where does he come up with this? Where does he get the idea that God wants even the enemies to be a part of the kingdom and be treated with fairness and goodness? Well, uh, there's a preacher that I, I listen to and like and uh, consume a lot of his information. His name's Tim Mackey. He is out of Portland. Um, he has a great way of explaining this, so I'm going to share just a few of his thoughts with you. Um, he says... Jesus gets to this point by looking at two things. First, Jesus looks at the weather. Jesus says God's grace is for you and your enemies. And Jesus knows this because, well, just look at the sky. He continues in verse 45, he says, He, speaking of God, causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Do you see what Jesus is doing here? Do you see it? In our karma-based mindset, listen, I know uh, nobody in here is, is Hindu, um, but, and I know we don't believe in karma, but we act like we believe in karma a lot, right? We act like we believe that good things are supposed to happen to good people and bad things are supposed to happen to bad people, and occasionally some bad things happen to good people and we have no reason why, but that's kind of our mindset. We have this karma-based economy where we think good happens to good and bad should happen to bad. But Jesus says, no, that's not how it works. 
That's not how it works. And he uses this illustration of the sky and weather to prove his point. He says, God lets the sun come up and provide warmth and light and life for the good and for the bad. Then God lets it rain, come showering down and watering the crops and provide life for the good and for the bad. Remember, this is an agricultural community. Farming is at the center of their survival. So Jesus isn't just picking rain and sunshine out of anywhere. Rain and sunshine are pivotal points to your survival. And so he chooses these metaphors to show that God's graciousness shines on everybody. But where else does Jesus get this? Again, the Jewish listeners would have known kind of right where Jesus is going. And we read this scripture right before communion this morning. Psalm 145. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion for all He has made. Jesus knows that God is rich in love to all He has made. So in His new kingdom, this new kingdom of heaven, we don't hate our enemies. We love them. The Jewish people had made rules that said, yes, we will love our fellow Jewish person. We will occasionally love the outsider if they conform to our ways. But anyone else, anyone outside of that, we're going to hate them and treat them as enemies. This was typical tribalism. This is an ancient tribal culture. This is typical of their culture. You cared for and you protected your own, but you shunned, you fought with, and you hated everyone else. But Jesus is saying that's not what it looks like to be a part of the kingdom of heaven. It looks like loving your enemies. And I think maybe we get stuck on this word love because in our English language we have one word that means a lot of things. We get one word. I say it, and we kind of use it nonchalantly, right? I say, I love pizza. I love pizza. I love football. I love Batman. I love the Gators. Go Gators. Um, I love my wife and children. Now, I would hope that I would love pizza and Sheena in two very distinct ways, right? Right? Um, I do love some pizza. Shout out to Loopies. I love some Loopies. But I would hope that my love for pizza and my love for Sheena are two very distinct things. And luckily, Jesus has a few more words at his disposal. And in the Greek here, Jesus used this word um, agapao. Agapao. You've heard this before. Um, We kind of shorten it to agape love. And it's not warm, fuzzy feelings. It's not warm, romantic, emotional, fuzzy feelings. But this is about acting towards a person for their betterment. Remember, like I said earlier, for God so loved the world, that famous verse. God didn't just have warm, fuzzy feelings for us. Mm, I love them so much. God did not have warm and fuzzy feelings for us that he would send Jesus. No, God moved towards us for our betterment and on our behalf with great intention. And that's what Jesus is getting at. It's not a call to have warm and fuzzy feelings about the people you don't like. It's about a mindset and an action that follows, that flows from this mindset that God has compassion and has rich 
love for everybody that He has ever made. And I, I can hear it. I can hear it now. But, 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 but Sean, what about those that are really evil? What about those that hurt us? What about fill in the blank? Jesus has already answered that question one paragraph earlier because He knew that that would be part of the question. What do we do when people treat us poorly? You turn the other cheek. You go the second mile with your enemy. It's not part of the kingdom of heaven to retaliate with violence, but rather act on the behalf of our enemies. And listen, I, I'm going to pause for a second and I'm going to say this. This, as a side note, this is not an excuse to ignore ongoing abuse. I think church leaders for many years looked at certain ongoing abuse, whether it was domestic violence or um, other sorts of abuse um, in the church, and they would say, well, you just got to turn the other cheek. They would say that to women abused by their husbands. Well, because Jesus says turn the other cheek. No, that's not what Jesus is talking about. We're not going to ignore ongoing abuse and violence. But what we're going to do is we're going to turn the cheek and not retaliate with more violence. That's not the kingdom way. And that cuts us to the core. Because maybe we think, our tri oh, these tribal Israelites, they're so primitive in their ways. Of course they get back at people. But we're not tribal in any way. But think about it. We really do have our own tribes, right? We, ha we all have our own tribes that we think are so important. And anyone outside of it, we hate. And this may be silly, but how many times have you found yourself saying you hate another team? It's football season. Man, I hate so-and-so. Man, I hate those fans. And we say it silly and nonchalantly. I hear it out of our students all the time uh, in their sports. We hate that school. We hate them. That school, we hate them. And I know they don't really hate them. They just don't like them. But we say it. And it becomes kind of part of our vernacular. We hate this. We hate them. We hate that. I hate this simply because they're not a part of our tribe. And that may be a silly example, but there's bigger issues of tribalism. Again, Tim Mackey talks about this um, when he likes to remind his congregation um, that we are a tribal people still. Uh, how many of you were born in the 20th century? Raise your hands. 20th century people. That means, oh, raise them high so I can see. It's dark out there. There we go. The year 1990 through 1999. Hey, give yourself a round of applause because you were born in the cruelest, bloodiest, meanest century in all of human creation. The deadliest century in all of humankind. Because tribalism is not dead. Tribalism is not dead. Groups of people have attempted to and still attempt to exterminate other people groups simply because they're different. Because of tribalism, because of racial tribalism, some 50 years ago, Derek and I wouldn't be able to have dinner together after church at a restaurant because of racial tribalism. And it still happens today. Because of tribalism, because of national tribalism, it can cause us to look at our neighboring countries as less than. Because of where we were born, we can look at other countries and say, you're not as good as us. Tribalism still exists. 
tribalism in our politics, and yes, I'm meddling at this point, can cause us to look at those with different ideas and different ideologies and at best consider them wrong and at worst consider them evil. There's tribes in our churches. We can look at our brothers and sisters in Christ and hate them because they don't look like us or think like us or maybe do church the same way as us. We all have our own tribes that we think are better and we do a great job of loving those that are like us, like the Israelites did. And we might do an okay job of loving and welcoming those who are different as long as they're willing to conform to our ways. But our enemies, those not like us, they are out. And we hate them. Or at least we treat them like we hate them. And so Jesus comes in and he wrecks this idea, this way of thinking, and he says... That if you want to be a part of the kingdom of heaven, if you want to be sons and daughters of your heavenly Father, you love. You act on the behalf of your enemies and you pray for them because Yahweh, the God of creation, has already decided that He would love them richly with compassion and generosity. So then Jesus gets practical. He says, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Not even the pagans, some of you may have Gentiles, do that. Jesus is saying you don't get bonus points for doing what comes natural. You don't get bonus points for that. As a dad, I don't get bonus points for making sure that my children are fed and clothed and well taken care of. I don't get bonus points for that. That's my job as dad. If I take them to Disney World, sure, I get a bonus point. Good. Awesome. But I don't get bonus points for what comes natural to take care of their basic needs and love them. I don't get bonus points for that. The kingdom of heaven is different, and we, as Jesus people, are supposed to act on the behalf of those who think differently, act differently, and are different than us. This is maybe a silly story um, I want to share. This happened a few weeks ago, but I think it kind of makes my point. Um, a few weeks ago, it was pouring down rain. Those few days we had a few weeks ago where it was just raining nonstop. Um, I was in my office, and I was hungry, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to go to Chick-fil-A. Amen. Shout out Chick-fil-A. Um, I was going to go to Chick-fil-A, and it was pouring, and I had a few, uh, I had some money on my Chick-fil-A app and uh, a reward that I could get some free uh, chicken nuggets and Polynesian sauce. Shout out. Um, <laughs> Uh, I was going to get some of those. So, and it's raining, and I'm like, okay, okay. I'm going to go through the drive-thru. So I set it up in my app, and I'm going to go through the drive-thru. And it, you, know, it, you don't really submit the order till you get there. So I get in my car, and I drive, and I get to Chick-fil-A, and it, you know, it's wrapped around the building like 400 times, as Chick-fil-A is. I'm like, oh, man. But then I look over at the curbside pickup. I'm like, ooh, nobody's there at the curbside pickup. And remember, it's pouring rain. So I pull in the curbside pickup. I cancel my drive-through order, and I make a curbside pickup order. And I know as I submit that, the poor kid who got that order looks at it and is like, I hate this dude. <laughs> this guy. Ugh, jerk. Oh, I hate this dude. Oh, man. So I submit it, and I know I'm a terrible person, but I submit it. And I, you know, sit on my phone, and I'm looking at my phone, and a couple minutes later, this poor blonde-headed kid 
comes running out. Um, Jeff, if you're in here, man, get that kid a medal. Um, coming out, he knocks on my window and I look over and the poor kid is not wearing a raincoat, a poncho, or has an umbrella. But what he does have is he has my food and my drink stuck under his vest to keep it dry. And I roll down my window and he's like, he apologizes to me. He says, I'm so sorry. I can't try. I'm like, no, dude, you're fine. Totally, totally fine. No worries, man. No worries. And he hands me my food. And I'm like, thank you. And he goes, what he does, my pleasure. <laughs> what? <laughs> I'd have punched myself in the face if I was that dude. <laughs> right? Oh, man. And he acted on my behalf. He didn't have to keep, he could have been like, this dude's stuff's going to get soaked. And I don't care how soggy his french fries are. But he didn't. He put it in his vest and he took care of me. Man, that's what it means. That's what it looks like on the, to act on the behalf of others. So what do we do? Who are our enemies? In your blank space there, um, write down, I mean, if you haven't taken any notes, I don't know, but write down, who is your enemy? Who is it this week you should act on the behalf of? Who are your enemies? Is it, is it, listen, is it people that vote differently than you? Um, it's election season and I know it's hot. It's, I mean, we, this last couple weeks have been crazy. Tribalism. Whether you vote one way or the other. And I'm not telling you, you have to change the way you vote. Jesus doesn't say you have to change kind of those ideas about the way you think government should be run. But what you do have to do is act on the behalf of those that you disagree with, with love. Maybe watch a little bit less news channels that tell you what you want to hear and what you should fear. Maybe go to lunch with somebody that thinks a little bit differently than you. Maybe ask them why they think the way that they think. Not to argue, not to change their minds, not to tell them they're bad, but just why. Because I would guarantee they have a different story than you. And the reason why they think one way about an issue is different than you did because they grew up in a completely different way than you. Sit down. Buy them lunch. Learn their story. Learn about why they think the way that they do. Not to change their minds. Is your enemy somebody that you work with? Get to know them. Pick their paper up off the copy machine for them. Get them more pens out of the workroom. I don't know how you can, in your workplace, act on their behalf. Maybe when you see something that they do good, even if you don't like them, tell them they did a good job. Act on their behalf. Take them to lunch. Maybe they're just a jerk at work because life at home is hard for them and they don't know how to process it. Take them to lunch. Get to know them. Learn their story. Maybe your enemy is, unfortunately, here at church. Because there are people who look differently, think differently about church than you do. Let's grab a meal. Learn why. Let's get to know each other a little bit better. Let's love each other. It looks like turning the other cheek. It looks like doing more than what's asked of you by somebody that you don't like. And again, none of this loving is so that you can change people's minds by arguing your point of view. That's not the goal. Jesus doesn't say that's the goal, is to change their point of view. The goal is so that we, we will be changed. Jesus says this, the goal is to be perfect, therefore as our Heavenly Father is perfect. 
And again, the Greek word here, and this is a struggle for us because we're like, Jesus thinks, oh, well, there's no way I can be perfect, so I might as well not try. Jesus uses this Greek word, uh, teleos. And in the way that Jesus is using it, he's meaning it's about the act of maturing, the act of completion, coming to completion. He knows that we're not going to be perfect, but he knows that we can pursue perfection and we can pursue to be better than we already are. Transformation. Moving towards perfection looks like Egyptian Christians who were constantly under persecution from other religious groups in their country who burn their churches, but yet they don't react with violence. They continue to meet amongst the ashes of their burnt synagogues and places of worship with violence happening all around them. That is moving towards perfection. Moving towards perfection is when the victims of the South Carolina church shooting in 2015 were able to face Dylan Roof, the shooter. Don't call for his execution, but rather offer forgiveness. That is moving towards perfection. Moving towards perfection is when we, the people of God, act towards our enemies the way that God acts towards them with sunshine and rain, with graciousness and compassion, wanting the best for them. Loving our enemies is a small, everyday act of grace, sitting across the table from people that look differently, act differently, and think differently from us, and seeing someone who is made in the image of God and being willing to act on their behalf not against them. So because of grace, we can act on the behalf of everyone, even our enemies. So what would it look like? What would it look like if the East Brainerd Church of Christ, if we in this room, what if we really believed this stuff and did this stuff that Jesus is talking about? What if we stopped arguing with anger and ugliness about the things we disagree with, stopped arguing about what we don't like, stopped boycotting stuff for whatever reason, because it doesn't work, stopped getting mad about what people think, getting mad about people who think differently than us, and started acting on the behalf of those people? I'll tell you what it would look like. It would look like people seeing Jesus more clearly, the kingdom of heaven being seen more clearly. And we, as the people of God, would be moved towards perfection instead of more tribal thinking. So I don't know where you are today. I don't know where these words hit with you. Um, I don't know. But I know we all have enemies that we need to quit hating and quit moving against and start moving towards and acting on behalf of. So maybe this morning... As we close in song, maybe this morning the best thing that you can do is just to come and be prayed with. To say, you know, I have some enemies and I need to love them better, but I don't know how. And let's pray so that God can give me some wisdom and some vision to see more clearly so that I can see them more clearly. As we sing these last couple songs, we'll have some elders who will come up here and pray with you and for you. And we'll have some elders in the back who will do the same if you don't want to come up here. We also have a prayer room just outside these doors out here if you want some private time with an elder to pray. Or maybe you're just like, man, this Jesus, man, he sounds awesome and I'd like to know more about him. You're here this morning and don't know a lot about Jesus and want to know more. We can talk to you about that. Maybe you're here this morning and you want to put Jesus on in baptism and become what we call Jesus, a Jesus person. We can do that.
this morning as well. But what we can't do is we can't leave this place hating our enemies. Church, lay your weapons down. There is no enemy in front of you. There is only people who bear the image of God in front of you. And so may we be compassionate and rich in love the same way that our Heavenly Father is so that we may be perfect as He is perfect. If you need anything this morning to be prayed for and prayed with, I would encourage you to come down front or find one of us later as we stand and as we sing. Let's give all the glory to God.